You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 71, Why We Should All Eat More Whole Plant Foods. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. I know of nothing else in medicine that can come close to what a plant-based diet can do. In theory, if everyone were to adopt this, I really believe we can cut healthcare costs by 70 to 80%. That's amazing. And it all comes from understanding nutrition, applying nutrition, and just watching the results. Dr. T. Colin Campbell, American biochemist, who focuses on the effect of nutrition on long-term health. Welcome back, veggie lovers. All right, well, I hope that you loved the intuitive eating series. I hope that you got something out of it, some good takeaways, some things that you can apply to both your diet and your way of eating and that of your family and your children. I would love some feedback. So if there's things that you liked about it or things that you didn't like about it, you can message me on social media or email me. That would be great. So my email is yami at dryami.com. So you can email me there. But now we are going to focus more on diet and nutrition for a bit. So on this episode, I'm gonna talk about whole plant foods and why we should eat more. And then we're gonna have a few more episodes with some guests on the show, and we're gonna delve into some specific topics. But before I get into today's topic, I wanna remind you that my book is going to be shipping soon, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. I'm so proud of it. I really hope that you love it and that it really provides something for you and your family. If you haven't already pre-ordered it, I would be so honored if you did. You still have time to pre-order. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, lots of other book online book sites, or you can go to my website, dryami.com, and it'll link out there for where you can order it. If you haven't already signed up for my weekly newsletter where I give you the link to every week's podcast episode as well as any news, you can do that at dryami.com forward slash sign up or you can text the word FIBER, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866. I also wanna remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by your health professional. If you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please contact and consult a doctor. Okay, so here we go. First of all, why should we even care about nutrition? Whenever I start 
to think about why I do something. I like to start at the very top and just give myself a good foundation, a good reason for why I even put so much time and effort into so many things. So I wanna give you my goals as a physician, coach, mother, but also as an individual because I also care about my own health and well-being. There's three goals that I have whenever I'm talking to my patients, whenever I'm coaching my clients, working with my children, or even just adapting goals for myself. The first one is to increase well-being and promote health. Basically, that means how can I help you? How can I help your children feel good? Not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, with all of their things in their life, with their bodies, with how they interact with their world. How can we feel good? So that's what that means. Increase well-being, promote health. Number two, decrease the risk of chronic disease and promote longevity. So how can we decrease that risk that we are all born with of developing a chronic disease? Because chronic disease is costly, it takes away health and joy, and you know it just kind of steals life away, years of life. It can lead to premature death and promote instead longevity. So longevity is not about living forever. It's not about being immortal. It's about living well, living long well. Because you can live to 100, but if you spend the last 20 years in poor health, that's not necessarily a good quality of life. So how can I promote longevity? And number three is to foster eating and body confidence. How can I help you and your children feel good about your body and about the food choices that you make? Learning to navigate this world that we live in when it comes to food, when it comes to our beliefs about ourselves and our bodies. So those are my three goals. Increase well-being, promote health, decrease the risk of chronic disease and promote longevity, and foster eating and body confidence. So given that, given my goals, does diet matter? Yes, it definitely matters and it matters way more than people realize. Diet is implicated in the majority of the top 10 causes of death and even some of them more than we even think would be possible, such as things like suicide. How can our lifestyle habits, including diet, increase our risk of committing suicide? Because suicide, unfortunately, is in the top 10 causes of death. A great resource is Dr. Michael Greger's book, How Not to Die, where he explores this. He explores the top 10 causes of death and how our diet and lifestyle may decrease the risk of dying from those diseases. Okay, so that's one thing. The other thing is that how and what we eat is also associated with chronic disease. The food choices we make may increase our risk of developing heart disease, diabetes, dementia, cancer, among others. So it can increase that risk or decrease that risk. So what choices can we make so that we can decrease that risk and meet the goal I have, number two goal I have as a physician, coach, and mother?
And then the other reason that diet matters is because it can contribute to feeling good. It can just make us feel good when we eat foods that are more nutritious, not just physically, but mentally. We have improved digestion, energy, mental clarity, and just better positive feelings. That's true. The food that we eat can actually help us feel more positive, believe it or not. People that eat more leafy greens tend to have more of those positive feelings. So if you want to influence the way you feel, if you want to feel good more of the time, you really need to pay attention to diet. But there's another two reasons that I just want to sneak in there about why our diet matters. It doesn't just matter for us and our own health and well-being and our own longevity, but it also matters for the longevity of our planet. So you may have been hearing recently, it's been in the news a lot, about the environment and how our food choices can affect the burden, the impact that we have on our planet. And what choices can we make to lessen that impact? And then finally, compassion. Our hunger for, for animal foods, our hunger for animal flesh worldwide is increasing. What people crave and choose to eat, how cultures are changing, is increasing the demand on animal flesh which means that more and more animals have to be factory farmed and farmed quickly to get that demand out into the public. And it's not just the United States, it's China, India. So it's not just our country, it's a, a worldwide increased demand for animal flesh. So when we think about that, that is a lot of animals that have to be raised as quote product in order to meet the demand of the world which leads to a lot of suffering when it comes to animals and i know not everybody can identify with that or maybe feels like they care about that but that's just a truth that's just one of those things to know that whenever animals have to be raised this way very quickly and this way it does lead to more suffering and pain for those animals. Okay, so we've established that diet matters. Diet matters for our own health and well-being, our longevity, our confidence. So if it matters, what should we eat? Okay, humans are natural omnivores. I think we all know that. We can adapt to a variety of climates. We can live almost anywhere on this earth, we can live in space. Humans are amazing. We can adapt to almost anything, which is great because that has allowed us to survive long enough to pass down our genes and proliferate. And we are definitely proliferating, getting close to 8 billion people on this planet. We have got that part down. We know how to survive long enough to procreate. Our number one goals as humans is to survive and procreate. But I argue that we're beyond that now. We're to the point where it's not just about survival. It's not just about living long enough to pass down our genes and raising our kids until they can 
kind of make it on their own. We aim now to thrive, not just to survive. What does it mean to thrive? To thrive means to flourish, to prosper, to grow and develop vigorously. Just think about those words, flourish, prosper. I mean, that sounds way better than just surviving. Surviving is good. We definitely want to survive. But how can we move beyond surviving? What does that mean? Because surviving means we're not dying. So we're just hanging on. We're just like hanging there. It might even be by a thread, but hey, we're not dead. We've, we've made it long enough to survive. But I think most of us want to be, we want to more than just survive. We want to feel great. We want to flourish. We want to prosper. We want to grow and develop vigorously. So how can we leverage our diet to meet our goals? of disease prevention, longevity, well-being, and to achieve the state of thriving. We have a preponderance of evidence of what pattern of eating gives us that advantage. I don't want you guys to feel confused because there seems to be a lot of conflicting data out there because there really is a consensus among all the top nutrition scientists in the world, all the top public health entities, there is a consensus. And I wanted to tell you about this old ways, common ground consensus statement on healthy eating. It came out in 2015 when they had the last dietary guidelines advisory committee. I anticipate that they're probably gonna come out with a new consensus statement now that we're moving into the 2020 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. But this group of scientists, this group of public health advocates, physicians, all the big people that work in nutrition and that really help us learn what we need to learn about food, they came together in November of 2015. And basically they put out a consensus statement that is 11 statements long saying that they supported the 2015 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee's healthy food patterns. They basically endorsed it, which was the Mediterranean diet, vegetarian diet, and healthy American diet. And in the 2015 Dietary Guidelines, they did talk about A healthy dietary pattern is one that is higher in vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, nuts, moderate in alcohol, lower in red and processed meats, low in sugar sweetened foods and drinks and refined grains. They also had in there low in non-fat dairy and seafood. But as you can see, the majority of what's in there is whole plant foods, okay? So this, These types of foods can be found in different patterns, Mediterranean diet, vegetarian diet, healthy American diet. What they're saying is the pattern of how you eat isn't as important as what you're eating. Eating a preponderance, a predominant whole foods, plant-based diet. They also said that food should be good for human health, good for the planet, and simply good, unapologetically delicious, which I love that. 
They express strong concern for the high level of apparent confusion when it comes to what constitutes a healthy eating pattern, and that's why they got together to make this consensus statement. And um, you know, there's a few other things that they talk about as far as food literacy and food systems. But there are some big players that were part of this committee. So Dr. David Katz, Dr. Walter Willett, Neil Barnard, T. Colin Campbell, Frank Hugh, David Jenkins, Dr. Dean Ornish. So there's a lot of great minds that came together to have this consensus statement. And there's tons of evidence. So there's no doubt that we know what foods to focus on when it comes to promoting health and promoting longevity. The other thing I wanna tell you about as far as studies is that you really have to be careful when it comes to the media and how they sensationalize certain study findings and how they isolate things down. Because a lot of studies are looking at very specific outcomes. Like it may just be weight loss. It may just be like a very specific thing. So they might say, okay, this way of eating is better for weight loss, but that's just one aspect. What about everything else? Heart disease, stroke prevention, a decrease in our risk of dementia, decrease in our risk of cancer, or even just feeling good or being sustainable. So when it comes to study, pay attention, not just to what they say, hey, eggs are good again, because they're good for like this one specific nutrient. That's just one thing. It's very reductionist. It's not holistic. And that's also the, not the way that nutrition works in our body. Whenever we eat foods, all of the components of those foods work together to give us an outcome. We're not eating individual nutrients, we're eating foods, we're eating meals that are composed of nutrients. So just be a little skeptical whenever you see some of these headlines and also look at the outcome. What was the outcome that they were looking at and evaluate whether that's looking at more of a holistic view or this very specific reductionist view. So when it comes to the way of eating, I want to also highlight that there is no such thing as zero risk. We have a 100% chance of dying at some point in our lives. We're all going to die. And the majority of us will be sick from something at some point in our lives, whether it's cold or flu or we get some sort of chronic disease. So there's no such thing as zero risk. Life is risk. We are born and immediately we start encountering risk. So it's not about getting to 0% risk. There's nothing that you can do that's going to guarantee that you never get sick and you never die. At least not that I know of. So maybe in the future, but for now there's not. Instead, I want you to think about how can you maximize benefit while minimizing or reducing risk? Maximize benefit, reduce, minimize risk. And when it comes to the food that we put in our bodies, the way that we maximize benefit is by maximizing nutrient density while keeping calorie density low. 
what are the foods that are available to us that have a higher bang for your buck when it comes to nutrient density? What are those? Hopefully you know because the title of this podcast episode told you, but it's whole plant foods, whole plant foods. So let's break that down. I'm going to break this down for you guys. And I can like literally talk about this for hours and hours. So hopefully this podcast doesn't go too long. But let's start with whole foods. What are whole foods? If you're only going to make one change and keep it really simple and you're starting from scratch and you don't know anything about nutrition, my advice would be to start eating just more whole foods. What does whole mean? It is foods that are found like they are in nature. Nothing is added, nothing is taken away. So the classic example I like to give is an apple. Because you can go up to a tree, you can go up to an apple tree and you can pick an apple when it's ripe and you can start eating it immediately. So it's easy to see when it comes to fruits because they're on trees, they're on bushes, they're on vines. You can pick them, you can pop them in your mouth, you can eat them, delicious. They give you nutrients immediately. But that also includes the foods that are in your garden. So kale and carrots and potatoes and onions, the beans that you can pick um, in your garden, those are all whole foods. They're in the way that they came straight from nature. You didn't have to do anything to them. Maybe you wash them, but even, you know, if you garden organically, sometimes you can get that strawberry and pop it in your mouth right away. So that's what it means. What That's a whole food. Nothing is added and nothing is taken away. And I'm going to talk about plants in particular in a little bit, but let's talk about processed foods. So a processed food means that you changed it in some way. So there's three levels of processing, minimally processed, moderately processed, and ultra processed. Okay. Minimally processed means that you actually didn't add anything or remove anything, but you changed a little bit. Like maybe you cooked it, you put it in a blender and, um, processed it that way and made it into a smoothie or a puree. So that actually is a minimally processed food. You actually didn't add anything or take it away, but you changed it. You might've changed its structure. You cooked it. That changes it a little bit, but minimally processed foods, I pretty much lump those into whole foods and categorize it in the same way because they're still going to have the same benefits essentially. Moderately processed means that you either took something out, you took something away from it, or you added something to it. This would be something like you added sugar, you added oil, you added some sort of fat, or you took out the fiber. So moderately processed, you added something or you took something away. Ultra processed means you changed it so much that you would not be able to make that food in your own kitchen. An ultra processed food must be made in a factory. So these foods by nature have to come in packages at the store. There's no other way to get this food except for at the store. Believe it or not, the American diet 
has 65% of its calories derived from ultra processed foods. 65% people, 65%. Over half of our calories in the American diet, the standard American diet come from ultra processed foods. Okay, so let me give you a visual of going from a whole food to an ultra processed food. So let's start with an apple. Apple is a whole food. Minimally processed would be that you take that apple, you throw it in a Vitamix, all with the peel and everything, and you make applesauce. That's minimally processed. Moderately processed is you take that apple and you extract the juice only, take away the fiber, you take away the, the body of it. You're just having the juice, you extracted the juice. That's moderately processed. Ultra processed would be you go to the store and you get Apple Jacks cereal. Apple Jack cereal you cannot make in your kitchen. I don't even know if it really has apple in it. It may have a little apple in it, but it's a very small amount. Mainly it's a bunch of other stuff in there. A lot of additives, preservatives. It's a lot of things that they add to try to make it appear more healthy, like vitamins and things like that, but it didn't come from that whole food. Okay, so apples, applesauce, apple juice, apple jacks, okay? That would be going from whole foods to ultra processed. And remember, 65% of calories in the standard American diet is coming from ultra processed foods. So that's like eating 65% of your calories from apple jack cereal. But what's even more sobering is that 95, 94% of our calories in the standard American diet is coming from animal products or processed foods. Only 6% is coming from whole plant foods. So what's the problem with processed foods anyway? I mean, we talk about it, we talk about how you should avoid processed foods. The issue is that processed foods have things that they add, increase calorie density, and also change our metabolism. In particular, things like added sugar, added fats, preservatives, artificial additives, artificial colors and flavors. All of those things interact with our body in different ways. But what's even worse to me is that fiber and some of the things that are very beneficial to our body are extracted, less vitamins, less fiber, low in antioxidants. So the problem with processed foods is they add things that can harm us, they take away things that can benefit us, so that is a double whammy. And with all of that, it also increases our calorie density. There's this really cool study that they did where they actually had people inpatient, controlled all the food that they got, and they put them on either a whole foods diet, it wasn't just plant-based, but it was whole foods, and an ultra-processed diet. So just think of the ultra-processed diet, you know, basically like Twinkies and like bread and, you know, white bread and things like that, okay? So they gave them the same amount of calories, but it was more than somebody would eat so that the people in each group could eat what's called ad libitum, which means they could eat until they were satisfied and wanted to stop eating. So they gave them all like an abundance of calories, but they kept it the same as far as macronutrients. So same amount of calories, same amount of carbs, fat, um, 
and protein and unfortunately or i guess you know i guess it would make sense for the ultra processed group they actually had to give them fiber supplements because ultra processed foods are naturally low in fiber but they wanted to keep everything the same what's really interesting about this study is at the end of the study they found that the people on the ultra processed diet on average ate about 500 more calories per day and their amount of eating was not being controlled they could eat as much as they want from what they were given but the people that ate the ultra processed diet naturally were just eating more food they didn't feel as satisfied with that lower amount of food because ultra processed diets essentially give you a lower volume because you're taking away that fiber and water things are just like dry and fiberless and they also had weight gain by the end of the study which makes sense because they were eating 500 more calories per day and the group that ate the whole foods diet which like i said it wasn't just plant-based but it was mostly plants because that gives you a lot of fiber and good nutrients in there they ended up eating lower amount of calories than the ultra processed group and they actually lost weight by the end of the study and this was not a weight loss study it was just to see what these people would do and i thought that was really interesting so i will link that study below as well so that you can see it okay when it comes to the standard american diet so we're only eating six percent from whole plant foods which is super low our top sources of calories are refined grain-based desserts so i'm thinking like donuts cakes cookies those kinds of things number two is white breads so breads that are not whole grain so white breads number three is chicken chicken is our top three now number three in the top five sources of calories in the standard american diet number four is not even a food you get to chew. Sweetened beverages. This is your soda, your juices, your Gatorade, energy drinks, sweetened beverages. Those drinks that have calories, that's number four. And number five, probably nobody's gonna be surprised about this, is pizza, okay? So that's where Americans are getting their calories from. Donuts, white bread, chicken, soda and pizza okay okay so we want to focus on whole foods foods like they're in nature or minimally processed we also want to make sure we're eating plants what are the unique properties of plants that set them apart and increase their benefits there's two things i'm going to talk about the first one is that plants have high nutrient density and then the second one is fiber so let's start with the high nutrient density so plants contain more than a hundred thousand natural phytonutrients these are molecules in our body that help us fight disease decrease our risk for disease Plants have vitamins, they have minerals, they have antioxidants, phytochemicals, polyphenols, phytosterols. There's all these different components within plants 
that benefit us, that help fight disease, help decrease our risk of chronic disease. In particular, one of the things that I like to talk a lot about is antioxidants. So antioxidants help fight oxidization. So what they do is they help fight free radical damage to our cells, which unfortunately we are getting all the time, every minute, every day, because we're exposed to sunlight, we're exposed to harmful chemicals in the air. Um, you know, lots of different things cause free radical damage and eating antioxidants helps fight that. They help decrease inflammation. And we're starting to realize more and more that inflammation really is the root cause. It is the mechanism for most chronic diseases. So in order to fight inflammation, we want to really power up on antioxidants. The good news is that all plants have them, especially if you're eating them in their whole form, but you can maximize them by focusing on herbs and spices, leafy greens, berries, and beets. So Dr. Furman, um, he has his approach to nutrition. He calls it a nutritarian diet, and he has a really great mnemonic, G-BOMBS, G-B-O-M-B-S, which stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. So this is a mnemonic to help you remember what to eat every day, what to center your diet around, because these are the foods that he has found have the greatest nutrient density. So how can we maximize nutrient density while minimizing and reducing risk? It's by eating foods that are high in antioxidants. And plant foods have a plethora. What's really cool about whole plant foods is that we're wired to be attracted to whole plant foods. It's one of the reasons why humans can see color. It's one of the ways, reasons that we detect color and why color is pleasing to us. It's because these foods that are very colorful actually have all of these different properties that benefit our health. Not only do they give us nourishment and give us calories and all the macronutrients that we need, but they also provide us with all of these micronutrients and antioxidants that help fight disease and increase our well-being. So that's number one, high nutrient density. Number two is fiber. And hopefully you know by now that fiber is my favorite F word. Unfortunately, we have a major fiber deficiency in this country. It's really low. The average consumption for US adults is 18 grams per day, but really I feel like most of the people I talk to aren't even coming close. Kids are not even coming close to that. A lot of food that's the typical kid-friendly food is inherently low in fiber. Ideally for adults, we'd like to get to over 40 grams. If you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you're probably getting between 75 or 100 or even more grams of fiber per day, depending on how much volume you eat. Some days I get more than 100, but I would say 75 to 100 is my average when I eat a good day of whole plant foods. Why do we care about fiber? Why do I care so much about fiber? I feel like I am preaching this all the time because 
Fiber is amazing. Fiber fights disease. Fiber helps you feel good. So everybody already knows that fiber helps you go to the bathroom. It keeps you regular. And the reason it does that is because fiber provides insoluble fiber. So it has, there's two kinds of fiber. There's insoluble and there's soluble. The insoluble fiber is what gives us bulk in our bowel movements. It doesn't dissolve. So insoluble means doesn't dissolve. So whole plant foods have lots of insoluble fiber that help keep our bowel movements nice and soft and allow us to have nice regular bowel movements that are not painful or hard and helps us feel really good in our digestive system. The second thing that fiber does is that through the soluble fiber, it binds to cholesterol, excess hormones, and excess, excess, I can't even say that word, excess toxins in our bloodstream. So a lot of people have heard about oatmeal and you know how like the Quaker Oats and I think even Cheerios likes to put it on their packaging that it may be heart healthy. And the reason that they're making that claim is because we have studies that show that that soluble fiber can actually decrease your cholesterol without using medication. Diet is that powerful that it can be equal or better than medication, but without the side effects, without the cost, and without the dependency on medications. So that's why they put that claim on there, but it's not just oatmeal. All whole plant foods have fiber in them and then they have different percentages of soluble and insoluble fiber. Beans are another really great source of soluble fiber and other things, other properties in the beans also help decrease our cholesterol. But through that mechanism, a lot of whole plant foods give us that soluble fiber that help decrease our cholesterol, help remove excess hormones and toxins through our waste. Number three is that fiber supports a healthy gut flora. What does that mean? That means we have bacteria all in our guts. We have bacteria all in our body and our skin. We have bacteria everywhere. But our gut bacteria are so vital to our health. And we are learning more and more about this. And it's just fascinating. Like we didn't even know about these guys until, you know, more recently. And now we're learning so much about how our gut bacteria can either be our friends, they can be friendly and they can benefit us, or they can create different um, molecules and different different properties and components that can actually harm us and increase our risk of disease. So when we eat whole plant foods, these foods act as prebiotics. So you may have heard of the word probiotic. Probiotic is the bacteria themselves. So some people take them in capsule form or in powder form. You can also get probiotics in fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut and kefir and yogurt. So they're active live bacteria in there that you're consuming. You're trying to get them to colonize you, which is interesting, but it's good. Okay. We want to have good bacteria, but once you have them there, you have to feed them. They're like friendly pets, I guess. 
I don't know, that's maybe taking it too far, but you have to feed your gut bacteria in order to keep them happy, in order to keep them thriving and proliferating. So that's why you eat whole plant foods because whole plant foods give you prebiotics. That is the food that the bacteria eat. What's so cool is that not only are you fostering these good gut colonies, but whenever you feed them fiber and other components that are in these whole plant foods, they feed back and they create um, short chain fatty acids and lots of different things um, that actually decrease our risk of disease stabilize our blood sugar, um, improves our insulin sensitivity and glycemic control, and more things that we probably don't know. When we have harmful gut bacteria, they can produce things like TMAO, which feed back into our body and may increase our risk of heart disease. So you wanna help the good gut bacteria proliferate. What's super, super cool is that they've done studies to show that whenever you change your diet in a beneficial way, you start eating more whole plant foods, you can start changing the composition of your gut bacteria within a day or two. This can happen fast. So don't feel like you have to be dedicated to eating whole plant foods for years before you can affect the gut bacteria in your body. Just start wherever you can and work up because you can make a difference almost immediately. Okay, and then the fourth advantage of fiber is that it gives us satiety. It helps us feel full. It helps us feel satisfied with the amount of food we have, but at a lower calorie density. So that means that at the end of the day, you may have felt like you ate more, but you actually ended up eating more volume for less calories. As humans, we tend to eat about the same weight of food per day. For an adult, it's about four pounds of food per day. So it makes total sense that that diet that they did with the ultra processed foods versus the whole foods, that the people that ate the ultra processed foods automatically were eating more calories at the end of the day because they still wanted to eat the same volume. They wanted to eat the same amount. And ultra processed foods with the fiber and the water removed way less. <laughs> There's more calories in there, so they're calorie rich, but they're nutrient poor. Whole plant foods are the opposite. They're nutrient rich, but they're low in calories, low calorie density. So we get that fiber combined with water that's naturally in the plant foods or naturally there when we cook the plant foods and we feel full and satisfied which helps with healthy weight regulation. I'm not talking about weight loss here. I'm talking about maintaining a healthy weight regulation. You're not yo-yoing up and down in these drastic amounts, okay? So those are the four things about fiber. Talk about fiber a lot, I love fiber. So when we eat more whole plant foods, we are eating foods that are high in nutrient density, high in fiber, really do really great things for our body. All of this stuff together gives us some key benefits that decrease our risk of disease. It decreases our risk of heart disease, diabetes, colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, gastric cancer, many other chronic diseases. How does it do that? These are the key benefits. There's many others, but these are the ones I wanted to point out. We have increased polyphenol intake 
improved endothelial cell function, meaning that the lining of our blood vessels is healthier. That decreases our risk of cardiovascular disease and getting heart attacks and getting strokes. Decreased TMAO production, which I talked about earlier. So TMAO, it hurts our heart health. So we wanna have less of that when we eat more plant foods, we have lower TMAO. Improved microbiome profile, like I talked about before. We have a better breakdown of healthy gut bacteria that benefit us rather than harm us. Decreased cholesterol. When you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you can get a decrease in your cholesterol similar to being on statins. But remember, you're not getting the side effects, you're not having to pay the cost of the medication, and you're not getting that long-term dependency. Improved insulin sensitivity and glycemic control, meaning that your body is able to match the changes in your blood sugar more efficiently. It responds to insulin better with more whole plant foods. And what's really cool, if you've heard of the second meal effect or the lentil effect, with these gut bacteria that give those short chain fatty acids, when you eat a meal that's high in fiber like beans, garbanzos is one of my favorites, the next meal, so say you ate it for dinner, I had that for dinner last night. I had brown rice with garbanzos and leafy greens. It was delicious. At breakfast, even if you do eat that donut, that processed high glycemic food, you will have a blunting of your sugar spike, improved glycemic control because of that gut bacteria and the feedback that they give to your body. Decreased blood sugars, decreased systolic and diastolic blood pressures, and changes to your epigenetics. So epigenetics refers to gene switches that modify and control gene expression. So it's not your actual genes, it's the way that the genes are expressed. And you can change this in your own lifetime. But what's even more important is that these epigenetics get passed down. So when it comes to having children, whenever you adopt healthy lifestyle changes. This is not just about diet. This also includes physical activity and decreasing stress. Whenever you make those healthy lifestyle changes, you affect your genes for generations to come. I mean, it is mind blowing that the way I ate when I had, when I was pregnant with my son or, and even before I got pregnant can influence my grandchildren and my great grandchildren. So you have this huge ability to influence the health of several generations, even after you're gone. I mean, that is amazing. I mean, just the power of that just blows my mind. So changes in epigenetics, increased well-being, so decreased depression, anxiety, those kinds of things. And like I said, decreased risk of chronic disease. So there's so many reasons why eating whole plant foods can benefit us and why it might be a good idea for you to start thinking about whether it's something you'd like to do. What are the plant foods we can eat as humans? Well, that's easy because I talk about it all the time. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, and nuts and seeds. Eat them in their most whole form as possible or just minimally processed. So what I have in the morning, my overnight oats with soy milk 
and blueberries and walnuts, mostly whole but minimally processed, that's pretty much a whole food. Buddha bowls with greens and brown rice and beans and a yummy uh, nut-based sauce, that is pretty much all whole foods. It does not have to be all or nothing. There is nothing to say that it has to be all or nothing to benefit your health and give you the well-being that you're after. But what can you start doing today to integrate more whole plant foods into your diet and into the diet of your families. Remember that even if you're young, you're listening to me in college, how you eat today is going to affect your children and your grandchildren. I hope that that's not too much pressure, but I I hope that it inspires you to think about what you can do knowing that it doesn't have to be all or nothing, knowing that it doesn't have to be drastic. How can you integrate more whole plant foods? So when I talk to my families and I talk to my clients, I would love for people to get up to 75% of eating whole plant foods in their diet. That means that you eat whole plant foods in 15 out of 21 meals per week. If that, start, if that sounds daunting to you, start with one meal a week. Like literally just start with one meal a week. There are people I know that eat plant, that eat animal foods every single meal and snack. So how can you just eat one meal a week that's whole plant foods. What are things that you already like? How can you make it so that it's whole plant foods? So that is what I want you to start brainstorming. This episode was about why. Why we should all eat more whole plant foods. And I hope that I communicated that well and that there's no confusion when it comes to the end of this episode. But if there are, please leave me comments on social media or you can email me and let me know. If there's something I left out or you're confused about, I would love to expand more about it in future episodes. But for now, I just want you to just let that sit. If you're already eating a lot of whole plant foods, great. Hopefully you can tune into your body, tune into yourself and see if that's right for you. If it's the right amount, you need to change anything up, maybe increase your greens, uh, maybe increase your beans. But if you're starting at the standard American diet, what can you do to eat more whole plant foods? Because if you're a standard American diet, remember you're only eating 6% of your calories are coming from whole plant foods. So how can we start creeping that up little by little until we get to 75%? In the next episode, next Sunday, I'm gonna be talking to Dr. Pamela Ferguson, who is a registered dietitian, and we're going to give you guys ideas of how you can start to integrate more whole plant foods into your diet. It is a very practical, very high yield episode that will hopefully give you lots of ideas. If you don't feel like you're there yet, how can you increase the amount of whole plant foods in your life? But this week, my call to action is to just start paying attention. Where can you add more whole foods into your meals this week? At breakfast, can you add a fruit? Can you add some raw nuts at lunch? Can you add some greens? Can you add some berries? At dinner, can you add some beans in there? Can you puree them into a sauce? Can you 
make a dip? How can you start adding more whole plant foods into your diet? And remember, whenever you focus on the greens, the beans, the berries, and the seeds, you're really choosing the foods that are going to maximize that nutrient density. All right, veggie lovers, my voice is tired. If you haven't already noticed, recording back-to-back podcast episodes today, but I really hope that this was helpful. I tried to keep it simple, but to tell you all of the things that I feel are important, what we need to know about whole plant foods and why. Why does it matter? Thank you so much for hanging in there with me, for listening to this episode. Don't forget, if you have time, please rate and review my podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. Share it with somebody that you think would benefit from this information. I appreciate you so much. I thank you. You are the reason I record these episodes. It's because I know that you're listening and I know that it's helping you. So thank you. And give me feedback because I love feedback and I would love to serve you even better. I hope that you have a plantastic day and I will catch you next week right here on Veggie Doctor Radio. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.